Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Well, welcome back to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I am honored to have as my guest today, Al Lopez. Al is the CEO and founder of Best Christian Workplaces Institute. He's recently completed a really incredible book called Road to Flourishing, Eight Keys to Boost Employee Engagement and Well-Being, published with InterVarsity Press. Al, thank you so much for your time today. It's really a pleasure to be with you, Steve, and I'm looking forward to our time and our conversation. Al, in a thumbnail, give people who haven't heard of your organization just a thumbnail sketch, who you are, how you got started, what's the work that you do? Our vision is that we believe that Christian workplaces and Christian-led workplaces should set the standard as the best, most effective places to work in the world. And so we set about to equip and inspire Christian leaders to create flourishing workplaces because uh, they would be the ones that will be attractive to Christ, and that's the way we're going to attract more people to the uh, to the kingdom. And uh, the way it started, Steve, was just simply divine providence called, and I answered the phone is the way I describe it. I got a call from Christianity Today almost 20 years ago exactly, and they wanted to do a a story, a cover story of who the best Christian workplaces are, similar to like the best uh, companies to work for surveys. And and I had been doing that with statewide business magazines with a large international human resource consulting firm. I said, well, yeah, I, I can do that. In fact, I had let my boss know that I'd be retiring uh, at the end of June of 2002. And so I had an open calendar and I'd be glad to contribute my time to help do that. With Christianity Today, that was really the start. In that first year, in that fall, we did a survey, 87 organizations uh, participated, and we we launched and announced in the April edition of the 2003 Christianity Today magazine. It was the cover story of who the, at that point, the 40 uh, best Christian workplaces were. So that's how we got started. And while some of those organizations joined because they wanted to be in the magazine, for marketing purposes, uh, our purpose all along was we want to help uh, leaders know the health of their culture, measure the health of their culture, and improve it uh, from year to year to year. So that's that's really how we got started. That's great. Al, what were some of the surprises that came out of that initial round of research? Well, you know, as I've been doing, using many of the same questions, one of the surprises was that the level of trust between leaders and employees in Christian organizations was lower than it was in secular organizations. I had a tremendous kind of a foundational experience when I was in college, being part of a a Christian team really for the first time as we were serving uh, high school kids through a ministry called Young Life. And and I thought, oh my gosh, my that that experience was was just outstanding. We had high levels of trust for each other, much more than I'd ever had in in 30 years of working in uh, secular organizations uh, after that. But then I came to find out that actually trust was lower in these Christian organizations than it was in the secular ones. And why is that? Well, quite frankly, in Christian organizations, we kind of, we certainly have a higher standard of those in leadership versus what you'd have in a secular organization. So that was one of the things that surprised me and quite frankly, I've been working on to improve in Christian workplaces ever since. 
the expectations of leaders and they can disappoint us. There's no question. Al, sometimes I, I joke with people about uh, identifying yourself as a Christian on your vehicle can be a liability because you have to watch extra carefully about how you drive. Is the same thing true of identifying yourself as a Christian workplace, especially if you're not a non-for-profit or specifically a ministry? It's easier as a, especially a Christian, we're working with hundreds of Christian owned businesses. And of course, they want to have an impact, a ministry impact for those that they're serving uh, as employees. They're careful and we're careful. We have the best workplaces instead of the best Christian workplaces uh, branding for Christian-led for-profit organizations because we, we don't want to, uh, there are laws where we can't discriminate in the workplace, in the secular workplace uh, based on religion. And you do a survey called the best Christian workplace survey, you know, that that's going to trigger maybe a non-Christian who uh, didn't get promoted for one reason or another, and they can bring a lawsuit saying, well, you're discriminating against me because of your Christian faith. And because I don't share that, then I don't have the same opportunity. In the secular workplace, we're, we're, we're careful. And I know employers are careful about, uh, about how much they might promote themselves as a Christian workplace, even though it's most of the ones we work with that People definitely know that leaders are Christian and they care about that, but they don't discriminate based on religion. Al, I'd love for you to revisit that question as you were speaking with owners and managers and supervisors in mind. Come back to that question about trust for me, because it seems like these last couple of years, whether it's been COVID or political division or conversations about race or debates about work from home, these last couple of years have given many different opportunities for trust to either be gained or lost from employers and owners. Talk, talk about how you're seeing people f fight to, to build on a foundation of trust in a world where it seems like you could lose it at a moment's notice. Yeah, that's the million-dollar question, Steve. Uh, how do you build trust, especially as we are, we are in a COVID type of a situation? And I, I think of three foundational elements of trust. And one is, uh, do, do you feel like and do leaders show interest, even, I'll say, compassion towards their employees? And when you're in a remote situation, that's harder to build. So Number one is is compassion, and, and a lot of that comes through communication. So the way I've seen organizations deal with this and, and managers and leaders is that they are having one-on-one -on -one conversations with their employees every week or every other week just to find out how they're doing, how what their well-being is, and how they can help them in their jobs be even more effective than they are. So that's a relatively new concept in a lot of organizations that those one-on-one -on -one meetings. So, so this sense of compassion is really important. Another thing is, uh, and this comes through communication, is just integrity. Are leaders doing what they say they'll do? So that's, a, that's another key element of building trust and making sure that, you know, you're very tight on, okay, I'm going to say this and I'm going to then do the same thing myself, you know? So we all know uh, leaders and we've had experiences where, you know, leaders will say one thing, but do another. And then third thing is just uh, as a leader, bring people together to get results. And that's a kind of a competence issue. So people want to be on a team where they're able to get results and share the successes uh, that they're able to achieve together that they wouldn't be able to do on their own. And that's a trust builder because if, if a leader, if a manager, if a supervisor can't bring a group of people together effectively to accomplish what they're there for, 
uh, people get pretty frustrated. Those three things we're seeing are foundational points of trust. You know, it's compassion, it's integrity, and it's uh, it's getting results or or competence. That's great. Al, in your book, you talked about keys to flourishing, and it sounds yep. like you've been able to identify a gap between organizations or environments that are stable and ones that are great. What what are some of those those markers for what makes a, a company flourish as opposed to what makes a company just maybe maybe nice or, or competent? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Steve, that's great. And, and let me just say, these aren't my ideas. This is as a result of research. And so we've surveyed hundreds of thousands of uh, of employees in Christian nonprofits and now also Christian-led businesses. And we've done a factor analysis working with uh, the Industrial Organizational Psychology Department, PhD department at Seattle Pacific University. And all of these questionnaires, this analysis of hundreds of thousands of questionnaires have, have created groups of questions and we've just named them and they, they spell flourish. And uh, so it's, do we have fantastic teams and life-giving work and outstanding talent and uplifting growth and rewarding compensation and inspirational leadership? Does the organization have a sustainable strategy and do we experience and promote healthy communication uh, across the organization? So those are the eight keys. We, we again, they, as we're looking at, at what they were, you know, we thought, oh, well, organizations that do this uh, flourish and and let's create an acronym about it. And most of our audience uh, are, are believers and uh, you know, they've heard the saying, well, and having an acronym will allow it to preach. And so, you know, that's the way <laughs> we can remember uh, uh, what these uh, eight keys are. And, and out of those eight, which, which two or three do you feel you spend your most time on with, with clients or companies these days? Yeah, are, there, well, are there particular ones that people are gravitating to in this particular moment? What we have also done is we've done a relative weights analysis. That's a statistical analysis that tells us how important each of these are to actually impact employee engagement in an organization. And, and again, you know, the culture drives engagement. That's what we're trying to uh, get at is employee engagement and measure it. And uh, here's one of the surprises. Uh, of the top two, one of the top two items is life-giving work. And that's where people feel like work is meaningful. And especially in this uh, generation with millennials coming into the workforce and now Gen, Gen Z, I mean, they want jobs that bring meaning and purpose to their lives. Uh, you know, whereas uh, boomers, you know, they were, uh, and I'm one of those, uh, you know, I was looking for a job to support me and my family uh, along the way, but now it's the culture that people are looking for. Are, are, do they experience meaning? Are they, do they experience kind of role satisfaction? Do they, they feel like they're able to use their gifts and their, their talents, their skills? And here's one, do they actually experience fun at work? You know, so we might think of joy as a, as a, Christian attribute, but uh, yeah, people are looking for fun at work, and we find <laughs> I've got a funny story about uh, about discovering fun because that's not my uh, I, I think just work provides fun, but but creating that environment really kind of brings a, a sense of satisfaction and camaraderie and community uh, amongst a workplace. So depending on the sector, that's either number two or number one most important, and it was the one thing that I kind of scratch my head on is really that's that's important in, in creating engagement. And now as I've thought about it and reflected on it, I can see, yeah, it's really critical. 
the most important is inspirational leadership. And again, it's getting at that trust and leadership, which was one of the surprises to surprise me to start with. But when we talk about inspirational leadership, what, especially in Christian nonprofits, Christian-owned businesses, people are looking at their leaders and, and they want to see somebody that reflects Christ to them. Uh, they want to see somebody that's humble. They want to see a leader that's uh, got compassion for people at all levels, not just at the higher levels, but people at all levels. They want to see leaders that have the self-confidence to be able to, to communicate in a transparent way. For our Christian nonprofits and churches, we ask uh, questions around that include faith-based questions, like leaders in my organization demonstrate the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you know, love, peace, joy, patience, etc. Those are the kind of things that people are looking for in leadership and as people lead. The, the second thing is, is the competence issue, because if leaders aren't competent, it kind of goes back to the psalm, you know, where they talk about David had a heart of integrity, that's character, and skillful hands, that's competence. So even in the psalms, they're recognizing David had both of those things. And when you've got skillful hands or you've got competence as a manager or leader, then things just go smoother. And when systems break down or a system, you know, there's a lack of systems, that causes conflict in the workplace. So leaders and special inspirational leaders bring a level of competence in the job. And then kind of the, we, we think of the, the mortar that holds the bricks together in any organization, it's, uh, it's trust and integrity. That's also key to inspirational leadership. So those two factors, uh, life-giving work and inspirational, those are by far the, the two most important uh, of the eight keys that we uh, that we talk about. Thanks, Al. You mentioned character, and it seems like, unfortunately, in the last few years, there's been, there's been a rash of high-profile leaders and ministries being un, undone by just just a failure to attune to the importance of godliness and holiness and character and integrity. And it seems like there are people who are highly competent who start well, uh, but maybe a ministry gets 10, 15, 30 years old. And maybe some of that attention that used to be focused on, on, on doing the little things right from a character perspective fell by the wayside, either because a ministry became competent or nationally recognized or, or well-funded or decently endowed. What do you say to, to maybe some younger people who are tempted to maybe land in a, in, a, in a sea of cynicism based on what they've observed either directly or indirectly through either church roles or ministry roles in these last four or five years? Yeah, this is a really big issue. Uh, no question about it. What I'd say to your listeners and, and anybody in the workplace, whether you're a leader or not, your self-leadership is really critical and not to be overlooked. And you know, when we get uh, popular, when things kind of rely on us, we lose our sense of humility. Oftentimes we lose our, our need for God in, in many cases because we've, we've developed confidence. Uh, you know, we see leaders that, that aren't connected to God on a regular basis. Uh, it's become a job, you know, so it's so easy to do that. But so what I, what do I mean by self-leadership, you know, recently I talked uh, on, on my podcast, the flourishing culture podcast with Dave Ferguson, who is a multi-site church co-founder in Chicago and leads the exponential conference and has written a couple of books on uh, exponential and hero maker. And he describes self-leadership every morning as part of his uh, quiet time he'll give himself a number on 
his RPMs. You know, other people have other ways of doing this. Uh, I'm part of a men's group, a business uh, leaders men's group, and we have a similar way of just describing where we're at, where he would give himself a number rating on R is relational, P is physical, M is mental, and then S is spiritual. How are you doing in each of those areas? So how, how are your relationships? You know, I was just talking with a colleague uh, about a person that came to give, uh, give a contribution, and they had a relationship issue that needed to be solved. And, and God convicted that person, go solve that problem before you give money to me. You know, wow. that's the importance of relationships. And so relational, physical, you know, we're integrated people. And uh, uh, we need to be, I know that when I'm in better physical condition, I'm in a better spiritual condition. So how are we doing physically? You know, mentally coming out of COVID, um, it's, it's relational, but it's also mental. Are we in a good spot mentally? And, and if not, then we need to be talking with uh, coaches or counselors or uh, trusted uh, spiritual advisors. And then, you know, how's our relationship with Christ? Those are RPMs. That's just one simple way. And again, uh, track it over time. And if you see that those numbers are going down, start to do some corrective action. But, you know, again, uh, spiritual disciplines. You know, I mentioned earlier about leadership. And I remember the president of Dallas Theological Seminary as they were looking at their survey results, he said, boy, I really pay attention to this question. Leaders exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What a way to kind of, for any leader, first of all, they need to have the strength to kind of review that kind of, a, of an item. And I admire so many that are looking for feedback. It really helps them to understand how is their leadership being seen and perceived and experienced. And if you're a manager, if you're a leader, that's how we learn. I love uh, Ken Blanchard talks about, uh, you know, two things that a servant leader should do. And one of them is to get feedback about their leadership, because, you know, what you always want to get feedback from your customers and, and also the staff, those that you're serving, so you can get better. And uh, how can you get better if you don't, uh, don't know? So those are a couple of things that, that will help. And I would also say, you know, part of that relational and the RPMs, do we have others that we can that we're sharing with on a deep level that hold us accountable i guess that would be the other thing i'd say that's great al recently i was talking to a ministry leader who, who noticed that they were having some churn in their ministry and had some cultural issues that they needed to address and, and he said he goes i think i think it might be time to bring in best christian workplaces to do to do an audit when when do people know what, what are some indicators that it might be time for a culture reset or or an honest inward look about where the organization really is, uh, what's good and worth celebrating, and what's unhealthy and needs to get addressed. Yeah, and this might sound uh, a little biased. It's always a good time okay. to, to evaluate the health of your culture, because uh, if it's really strong, and we've had leaders say, we really think our culture is strong, it's very positive, it's healthy, and you know they're right. They don't know unless they actually measure. It's, you know, I think of engagement and uh, how do you measure engagement and again uh, the the psalm uh, know the condition of your flocks how do you know the condition from a culture standpoint of your employees unless you ask them and of course i'm going to say in some type of a psychometrically uh, effective way and that's what an engagement our engagement survey is that it's a it's a tool to like a financial statement it will give you the health of your culture and 
you know, a lot of people in the in the Christian world, you know, their their assets are walking out of the door every day. Don't you want to know the strength of those assets? So measure the health. I talk in the book in the first chapter there about a an organization, and and the leaders said, you know, we know that we've got a problem. We just don't know what to do about it. And so that's another another situation. You know, there are people that know, for example, right now, turnover is such a big issue, the great resignation. If you've got turnover, this is a perfect time to be evaluating whether the, the culture is strong, because I believe the anecdote to the great resignation is a flourishing workplace culture. People want to work in a healthy, flourishing culture. And I'll say it's worth it. Now, there's a return on investment for organizations because if people are really part of a flourishing culture, it will take at least a 20% pay raise for them to move out of that organization. Whereas if you've got a, a culture that's uh, you know, unhealthy, you know, sometimes we use the word toxic, people are looking for, you know, your best people are looking for another opportunity to, uh, to move to. So we believe that culture is really critical and it's the anecdote to what we're experiencing with this uh, great resignation. So Al, I hear you saying that there are steps that business leaders can take to make it harder for people to consider leaving. You know, there's that old saying that said, people don't leave bad companies, they leave bad managers. And I just could, couldn't resonate more with what you're saying. No, that's exactly right. And so what are the steps? So the steps are to do an evaluation or assessment. You know, we've got eight keys. These are proven scientifically based uh, keys that determine uh, these are the health indicators. And, you know, there isn't one answer for any organization. Some organizations are strong in strategy and they're weak in talent. Uh, Some organizations are strong in communication and they may be weak in rewarding compensation. They might be strong in well, we have great supervisor relationships, but our overall senior leadership and inspirational leadership might not be as strong. So every organization is unique and different. And again, understanding that through an assessment is really the first step. That's great. And Al, how does, how does the assessment work? If, if my friend who is considering bringing your firm in wanted to go ahead and pull the trigger on that, what, what, would he, what could he expect from that process? This is the beauty of it. It's really administratively very easy. You know, we work with a, a coordinator. There needs to be somebody in the organization. So somebody, uh, maybe you're in a small organization, it could be the executive's administrative assistant or a human resource person for a larger organization. You just let us know. We do a little bit of customizing for your organization, like your own departments and how many employees there are and a couple of questions. Within an hour, you're ready to send out an email to your employees with a link and a code to complete the survey. And, and employees, then we ask really all employees in an organization to complete the survey. They can do it at their computer, on an iPad or a tablet or on a phone. It's a 56 question uh, survey questionnaire. It's uh, open for a couple of weeks and within a very short period of time, within a week, you get a report. Then we follow up with a, a customized uh, debriefing uh, with the leadership team to describe the results. And then we recommend based on our findings, this is where I'd suggest you begin to develop and improve the health of your culture. That could all be done in a, in a very short period of time. That's great. Al, can you give, can you give an example or two or of an organization or a leadership team who ended up leveraging th- this resource and maybe had to make some hard changes, but saw some, some really healthy r- returns on that investment? We have a lot of those stories. You know, I think of uh, an organization, this was a mission sending organization, missionaries uh, overseas and 
the leaders, there had been some transition in the top leadership. So there were some new leaders and they were coming in and they were finding the culture was really unhealthy. Did the engagement survey and yes, it confirmed it was really unhealthy. The issue is that a, a survey like this helps you identify where the hotspots are. What are the issues? It doesn't say why they were issues to start with. And so here's an organization that the results said, yep, there's really low trust in leadership. They didn't believe the leadership was competent. So we began to work with the leaders and the directors of this organization to improve the practices that they went through, including they started to have like all staff meetings. Uh, they never had their, brought their staff together. They felt that they were too busy, but they start to brought their staff together. They started to communicate organizational goals so that they could kind of get everybody working in the same direction. They would put the goals where they were visible. They started to develop their leaders. They put in a leadership development program. They had hired their best people and promoted them into supervisory management positions. They didn't know how to manage. They didn't know how to communicate. They didn't have the core tools or competencies to do those things. We began to, to work with that. Uh, they, they created uh, values that they could all agree on and, and work together towards to help create their culture. Over about a two or three year period of time, they became a healthy organization and a flourishing organization. And you know, it was interesting as I would kind of go back each year and I'd present the results to the employees. Uh, after that first year, the second time we had done the survey, I could see on the faces there are a lot of people are saying, yeah, I know the progress we've made. This has been great. There are some employees who are the most uh, outspoken. They saw that things had improved. They were all encouraged as a result of that. And that just uh, propelled them to even work harder to create a better workplace. Al, so good to see that the principles uh, not only are, are grounded in science and research, but they're, they've also been field tested and are seeing fruit and results in real time with real people. Uh, thank you so much uh, for your time today and for the energy that you put into this book. Any, any closing words of encouragement to, to leaders, owners, and managers who are trying their best uh, to, to honor God in their places of work by engaging their employees? Yeah, I'd say, Steve, as I think about that, I'd say I'm often asked, who has the most impact on creating a flourishing workplace? I will say, well, everybody has a role in creating a flourishing workplace culture. So all employees have a role. It's based on, uh, and, and let me just say, do what you can do to cultivate a flourishing workplace. And the book describes what the eight keys are. I mean, a lot of us know intuitively uh, what we can do to contribute to a flourishing workplace. Who has the most impact? It's leaders have the most impact on the, on the culture. So measure the health of your culture, identify where your strengths are, celebrate those, identify a couple of things to work on and make progress. Year one, do it again. Year two, we've worked with organizations. Uh, Johnny and Friends is one that we've worked with for 18 years in a row, every year, they want to come back. Their employees are thrilled. This is a great way to give their input. They know that leadership is, uh, is anxious to improve the culture so that the ministry will thrive more. People will be impacted by the gospel. That's what I'd encourage people to do. Great. Thanks again for your time, Al. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm your host, Steve Norman. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. 
If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it, rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.